All of us know that a transformed life is a real life, mm. is a life that we actually want. Oftentimes we view resistance as bad because it feels bad, but that's not the case. Resistance is just part of the human experience, and that experience um, produces transformation in us. I keep thinking about this concept that resistance does produce something in yeah. you that you cannot achieve unless you move through the resistance. Yeah. And so that's our, our invitation uh, to all of us as we keep continuing to lean into the practice of Sabbath. You're listening to the Rule of Life podcast by Practicing the Way. In each season, we explore an ancient practice from the way of Jesus and its relevance for the modern era. This is season one, Sabbath. Welcome to episode two of the Sabbath series. John Mark Comer here, along with my dear friend Bethany Allen and Brian Roundsen. But you'll also hear clips from interviews we did with a few luminaries like Tish Harrison Warren and Rich Viotis and Andy Crouch and more. To recap, we broke the Sabbath practice down into four movements based on four translations or interpretations of the Hebrew verb Shabbat or Sabbath. They are stop rest, delight, and worship. On the docket for episode two is rest. Yeah, and I think the way that we want to frame this conversation is with a question. Uh, and I think it's the question, which is, why is rest so hard? Mm. I mean, obviously, we just talked about the Yeah, last it sounds episode. easy. Rest. <laughs> just, easy. Just rest. Because we all want to do it, but we just talked about this in the last episode. This doesn't come naturally to a lot of us. And uh, it's not an easy thing to do. And I'm thinking about particularly even those who maybe are trying Sabbath. Maybe you tried some of this last week. Yeah, last week. Or you're, enter in. Maybe you're running the Sabbath practice and you just finished week yeah. one and your first Sabbath ever. And maybe you were feeling like, this is way harder yeah. than I yeah. thought it would be. And if you're anything like me or Brian, not to drag you into this, but you're probably <laughs> feeling some shame about how yeah. it should have been done. Um, or like, I didn't do, it's so hard with disciplines in general to like not judge your experience. Totally. Like, did I do yeah. a good job? Yeah. Or did I do a yeah. bad job? Or did I like it? Or did I not like it? Which is just not, those are not helpful questions. Yeah, or like, it didn't feel like I thought it would, yeah. yes. you know? And that's a real thing. Yeah, I came across this idea a few years ago from learning theorists. So they're like, there are academics who study the way that the human brain is wired to learn. And it's called the J-curve. Let me see if I can do this without a graph in front of you. <laughs> but if you can imagine the shape of a letter J in your mind, learning any new skill or behavior tends to follow the shape of a J, meaning if you think about like how a J goes down first, hits yeah. a bottom and then comes back up to the same point and then goes higher. So the same with a new skill, whether it's like learning to speak French or play the tuba, if you're thinking about that, yep. I don't know where that one came from, great tuba. Yep. Uh, but or practicing Sabbath, often your felt experience is you will get worse yeah. before you get back to normal and then before you get better, I just want to normalize that experience. Yes. Yeah. Like yep. this is not easy. Rest is life-changing. Like my life, I could divide mm -hmm. into a before-after moment with the practice of Sabbath in particular. Mm -hmm. If I were to tell you my story, 
adopting the practice of Sabbath, however many years ago, 15 years ago, something like that, has transformed my life. Wow. Yeah. But, or God has through that practice, but it's not easy. So just, we just want to normalize that yeah. today. Yeah, okay, well, now that we're on that topic of Sabbath, thank you. Uh, why don't you give us a synopsis of session two, Sabbath? Yes, yeah, so for those of you who are following along with the four-week Sabbath practice that is out now, let me just give you a short synopsis of the teaching from session two that we kind of want to riff on for our time together. I open session two by talking about a little bit of philosophy and kind of Christian theology around the inner dynamics of desire. Mm. So desire, you know, is like the engine of the human life. It's our drive to get out of bed in the morning. You have to want something. It's our drive to follow Jesus. You have to want yeah. to follow. It's our, the drive underneath spiritual formation. You have to want to grow and mature and become a person of love. But when you pay close attention to the inner dynamics of desire and the human heart, you realize that desire is never, ever satisfied. Thomas Aquinas, who, if you're not familiar with him, is one of the most influential thinkers in at least Western civilization, towering kind of medieval Christian intellectual. He once asked the question, what would it take to satisfy human desire? And the answer he came up with was everything. Mm. So all of us, the result is, all of us live with chronically unsatisfied desire. Mm. This is why in particular in the Western secular culture, the attempt to deal with desire by taking prohibitions off of it and giving into your desire is a losing strategy. Mm -hmm. So the question is not, do you draw the line? It's where and mm. when do you draw the line? But all of us live with these chronically unsatisfied desires. I put this in the session and I hope I don't get in trouble for it. <laughs> um, because I'm very orthodox in my Christian theology, but I also read very widely. And I find the idea from the East very helpful of the wheel of suffering, as yeah. they would call it, mm. which is arguably not a religious idea. It's just an insight. It's yeah, just a wisdom insight, yes, yeah. into the human condition. And what people in the East mean by the wheel of suffering is they call it craving and aversion. So if you imagine like a hamster wheel almost, of craving, you're chasing after what you crave, what you want, mm. and aversion, you're running away from mm. what you don't want. And this is most of our strategy for living. Yeah. I'm going yeah. to chase what I want yeah. and run away from what I don't yeah. want. And the insight is that's actually one of the root causes of suffering mm. because it doesn't work. Yeah. Even if you catch what you're chasing for, which hmm. most people don't, yeah. and even if you're successful enough to get what you want, the human heart is never satisfied. So 10 new things pop up in its plate. Yeah. And even if you get away from what you have an aversion to, what you're running away from, it's like a life becomes just like a game of whack-a-mole. It's mm -hmm. like you deal with one problem and then another comes up and you deal with another problem and another hmm. comes up. I remember my therapist saying to me, I sat down for a session and I said, oh man, things are going really good actually for once. <laughs> and he's like, you know, in times like those, what I say to myself is, I wonder what's going to go wrong next. <laughs> so <laughs> now, and that was not negativity, like yeah. from my, you know, control oriented yeah. personality. Mm. He was teaching me to expect yeah. stuff to go wrong yeah. Yeah. because I need to be okay, not just when I'm yeah. okay, yeah. but when things in my life are mm. not okay. So I open with this idea of the, the wheel of, suffering, craving, and aversion, and how so much of the human heart and our culture is built around this, I'm chasing after what I want, and I'm running away from what I don't want. Hmm. Is there a way off of this hamster wheel of craving and aversion that is the root cause of suffering? 
Yes, one way off is the practice of Sabbath. Sabbath is a line in the sand where you just draw a moment and you say, enough is enough. Yeah. So in Genesis 2, Shabbat, the verb there, is normally translated God Shabbat. He rested on the seventh day. And like what you said, Bethany, you know, I hear rest and I think of like downtime to chill yeah. and, yeah. you know, have a cup of tea and sit on the couch. But rest in biblical theology is way more robust and radical. Mm -hmm. You know, on the Sabbath, we rest from at least three things. Obviously, first from working. Secondly, from thinking about working. Heschel has that great line That's about great. how like we don't just rest from work. We rest from even the thought of yeah. work. Yeah. And third, you rest from wanting and worrying. Mm -hmm. From again, craving and aversion. If I want this, I don't want that. So then I go to Deuteronomy 5 and I talk about the second version of the Ten Commandments. Most people don't realize this. The Ten Commandments shows up twice in the Torah. First is in Exodus 20 mm -hmm. at Mount Sinai. And then 40 years later with that, the next generation in Deuteronomy 5 on the edge of the promised land. Mm -hmm. And the commandments are, are pretty much verbatim, except the Sabbath command is the same command, but the ending of it is different. Mm -hmm. It's really interesting. So same command, but it's a different rationale behind the command. So in Exodus, the rationale or the end of the Sabbath commandment is for in six days, God made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh mm. day. Therefore, God blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. But in Deuteronomy, the end is, remember that you were slaves in Egypt, right. but the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Mm. So it's fascinating. Like in Exodus, the Sabbath is grounded in creation and like the rhythm of creation. But in Deuteronomy, it's grounded in liberation yeah. and in resistance specifically against Pharaoh and the systemic injustice of Egypt. So this whole thing, I do a short version. It's basically me riffing off of a little book called Sabbath as Resistance by the theologian Walter Brueggemann, where he does this biblical theology of kind of Pharaoh and Egypt as archetypes of human injustice down through human history and how Sabbath is, is not this nice, fuzzy, warm, I feel great, I'm <laughs> drinking my tea on the couch, reading poetry, yeah. reading my Wendell Berry, which by the way, I do that every Sabbath, but yes. yeah. it is is like this more lord it yes. is you know aj soboda calls it scheduled social justice mm. it is an act of defiance mm. and resistance yeah. mm. against pharaoh and his system so that we and those that we're in community with are not oppressed don't get sucked back into the slavery of egypt and this was the this was the word for Israel on the edge of the promised land so that we never become the slave drivers, yeah. so that we never with our freedom become the kind of people who then create the very structures that we yeah. have been set free from. Yeah. You know, think Ooh. of the common historical tragedy that you just see on repeat through human history of the oppressed becoming oppressor. Hmm. And that has played out in God's people. Read the Old Testament. It literally, that is the story of the human condition, you know? Yeah. So that's kind of it. it. This is the kind of most like, punk rock, as I would say, at my mm. age of it's the four sessions. It's honestly my favorite. Yeah. Favorite. And Sabbath yeah. rest is resistance. Mm. That's yeah. the kind of meta idea. So what I touch on at the end of the session and what we want to now kick it to you and explore is this idea of Sabbath rest as resistance and that when we Sabbath, we will experience resistance. Like when we resist and we push back on the Egypt of our time, we will be resisted and we will be pushed back on by both external resistance from the larger cultural forces outside us and 
internal resistance, mm-hmm. this yeah. is much trickier, yeah. from stuff in our own heart mm. that will push back against Sabbath. What we want to do with the rest of our time is kind of explore these two categories, external resistance and internal resistance in depth. The Sabbath practice is a four-week experience designed to be run in your church, small group, or community that combines teaching, conversation, and spiritual exercises to introduce you to this ancient discipline for life with God. If you come on the Sabbath practice, you will not just learn about the Sabbath, you will practice the Sabbath. The end goal is to integrate Sabbath into your rule of life in order to arrange your life around God. This offering is completely free thanks to the generosity of The Circle, a group of people from all over the world who give monthly to Practicing the Way. Available now at practicingtheway.org. So why don't we name these five examples of external resistance first? So the first one is there's no longer any cultural architecture around the Sabbath. Yeah, we said that, I think, in the last episode that, you know, in ancient Israel and then in, you know, the Roman Empire from 321 down through most Western democracies up until like the 1960s or 70s, there was a cultural architecture of Sabbath. If nothing else, legally, everything was closed down on Sunday. And most people, even if they were not Christians, still went to some form of church or worship. And now we live in this Sabbath-less kind of culture. And that's really hard. Anytime that you try to live against the inertia of culture, whether it is around rest or materialism or human sexuality or whatever, if you're living against these like deeply embedded structures of yeah. sin in the larger society, man, like you feel that. It's hard to rest when the whole world around you is buzzing and the yeah. am- like it gets so frustrated. I'll be there sometimes, you know, on my Sabbath and the Amazon people will be driving around <laughs> the neighborhood and dropping off packages mm-hmm. and there'll be a contractor working across the street and everybody's mowing their lawn yeah. always. Yeah. You know, it's like I'm right in this moment of prayer and then the blower starts up or <laughs> yep. whatever, you know, I'm like, come on, it's the Sabbath, <laughs> you know, so mm-hmm. but it's just hard to yeah. do it yeah. when you're not in a, you know, Sunday mornings early. Yeah. It's like the last little, tiny little hangover, mostly because people have a literal hangover and they don't go to church anymore, (laughs) so they sleep in. But if you get up, like I love to prayer walk the city on Sunday mornings early before church, just or just walk in the forest or in the city because there's just this last little vestige of this is what it would have been like. Yeah. Yeah. But most of the time it's just nonstop. So it's hard to Sabbath inside that kind of cultural force. But I also think there's a cultural architecture, but there's also this idea of a lack of cultural models, which I think is equally as helpful in that frame. We don't see it. We don't see it. We don't see it modeled well. We don't see it very rarely. I mean, there is a broader... You know, the, the, the language I keep thinking of is the, the image we have of this is not eternal rest, it's eternal vacation. Yeah. It's what we see on Instagram is you work as hard as you can, as much as you can to be famous or wealthy, and then you'll just live in an eternal vacation. Of just leisure yeah. but and it, experience. It's, it's an always and... another un, that's the model. It's an always a future oriented, as opposed to Sabbath is this claim that actually I can live into it in this moment yep. and live into right an eternal rest. I have enough. Right now. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, it's that. that but people don't have models. No models. Yeah, it's so funny. Like sometimes we rarely go out on the Sabbath, but every once in a while we'll go out for coffee or, you yeah. know what I mean, get a donut or something in the morning. We don't really much anymore, but we used to do, we used to live right down the street from a donut shop. So when the kids were younger, part of our Sabbath yeah. routine was we would walk down we and, do that a lot. and get donuts. Yeah. 
And uh, inevitably, you know, the barista or the person there would say, what are you doing today? And in our case, it was on Saturday. And I never knew how to answer that <laughs> <Nothing>. question because <laughs> the answer is kind of nothing, uh, yeah. but you know. Yeah. And so I, we would kind of stumble our way through and say, well, well, we practice Sabbath. And then they would look at me really confused or my wife or whatever and say, what is that? And then we would kind of begin to talk about yeah. what our day is. Well, we turned our phones off last night and we had a big meal and today we're... And it's like people would just look at you like a combination of you're an alien from Mars mm. and like with this dreamy desire. Yeah. Yes. And they would almost yeah. always say, that sounds amazing. Yeah. But you can see it's like they have no paradigm for that, yeah. wouldn't even know where to start. Yeah. It's so far out of their imagination of what's yeah. even possible. We all live from a horizon of possibility. Yeah. And most people in the West don't even have this vision Absolutely. of a six-in-one yeah. rhythm and yeah. a day of rest. Mm -hmm. That's a wonderful description of that. Thank you. The second example of external resistance that we want to talk about is the culture of connectivity and availability and the addiction that we have to things like the digital world. Yeah, I mean, I think this one can be a little bit more abstract, but I would say this culture of connectivity that we're talking about really centers around the fear of missing out. FOMO. It's the it's the FOMO. You know, but I think this one is one we don't like to name very often either because I think it's, you know, it's it's a hard thing to admit about yourself, but we live in a culture right now where being available is like kind of all of the time. Yes. All of the time. I mean, constant it's accessibility to yes. feeling apart, yeah. which is like this, it, it taps on this human desire to want to feel connected to others. Yeah. And if I'm not, then I miss out on everything, at least is the lie that a lot of us are yes. carrying. Don't you think a little bit it's connected to feeling safe too? Like my point is like, there's some addiction to connectivity that's crept in that's actually enslavement to anxiety. Yeah, yeah It's actual sure. a form of slavery and deep fear mm. in people. And again, the illusion that my digital connection to others, even just in it, I was kind of searching myself again this morning, even the desire to know what other people are doing. Yeah. Like if I don't know that information when I go to this next conversation, then I will be out of the loop and somehow again, a bit further removed like everybody else. Like <laughs> that, which is like insane that I'm even saying that out loud. I know, but it's how it is. But it's it is. true, but that's driving so much this, you know, the propensity to check our phones or to whatever it may be that keeps us from actually, it, from like you freedom. were saying, from freedom and being present. To Taking a buddy of mine who happening. went on sabbatical, and you know, like whenever you don't know the answer to something, you just Google it, yeah, or yes. ask Siri or whatever. And I don't know about you, but I do that more when I travel. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And he had gone, I think it was Italy or somewhere, on his sabbatical, and but he was on sabbatical, so he'd gotten rid of his phone for like three months, and so his whole mantra, like whenever that moment came, what he'd say to his wife was, "Let's just not know." That's Let's great. just not know. Yeah. Wow. So what's that, you know, wow. chapel or how old's that or what's this mountain or what's the elevation? Let's just not know. Oh, yeah. I love that. And there but like in a joyful like yeah. let's embrace the not knowing yeah. rather than an anxious I need to google this or yeah. ask Siri and find out the And there's something about like embracing just accepting what is mm. like yeah. Let's just not know. Mm. Let's you know, just accept. I, I just heard someone talk about that with their kids, that kids are so curious and they're constantly asking questions and we train them in education that they can get the answer from a teacher or from a parent immediately. And they have this practice where they don't give the kid the answer until the end of the week. They what? have them write it on a post-it. And so there's wow. a wall of questions. That's kind of genius. So it's this driving- Or draconian. It's driving this curiosity. <laughs> yes. As opposed Awakening. to- the, Yeah, to, to a whole bunch of, hey, do you have the tools and resources mm. to answer this? By the end of the week, most of the times they do. The kids figure it out. And Teaching I thought that was- Teaching self-learning. Yeah, that because cool. it does. There's a tie into 
not knowing and anxiety that you just named that I think is deeply, I mean, how many times you get a text and your instant impulse is, it's gonna be a bad text because we're being trained. And this goes into our our third point for external resistances, which plays so much into the digital availability Mm -hmm. is a culture of reactivity and passivity. Culture is designing an environment to keep us reactive. And I don't yeah. mean that in like this Orwellian, it's hap- It's just the nature of keeping our attention is so helpful yes. and so financially viable that- It's this, how money is made. It's the, the attention is, economy. Exactly. Um, and the last thing, I love this line from, from um, Richard Foster, but the last thing that advertisers and employers want, um, what, what Richard Foster calls the custodians of modern gadgetry, is that for you to think critically and deeply about how you will live and mm. operate your own life. Yeah. It's the last thing they want. Mm. And it cultivates in us this passivity of life, yeah. of direction, of decision, of relationship. I don't have to map out my road trip. I can just Google it on the way. I don't have to look up those things. I can mm. yelp it. So it becomes a purely reactive, yeah. let's just let life happen. as It's very like free and open, but we don't realize is we're cultivating a way of being yeah. that's not open and yeah. curious and it's not decisive. There's no discernment. Right. In it. it's, and, n- it's antithetical to, the dis- to discipline, to setting those yeah. boundaries that you were talking about before. Yeah. 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 And the and the tragedy is, you know, discipline is how you discipline yourself toward what you most deeply want. Yes. Yeah. Reactivity is the opposite yes. of that. It's how you get sucked Everyone into the very else. things that you in your deepest heart don't want to get sucked into, you know? Because that can steer your life in a way that you never thought it would go and yeah. you won't know because you haven't thought about yes. it looking forward. You only understand it looking back. Mm-hmm. And, and Sabbath is just, again, it's resistance against that. Yeah. Saying, no, I have enough. And life is not just enough, it's good, you know? But when you don't like face that culture of reactivity and when you yeah. don't plan, yeah. what will happen is exactly Sabbath will follow the path of least resistance and we'll just get sucked into the reactivity. Mm-hmm. Well, it's breaking us from our automatic functioning. It's yes. breaking us from the this is how I've always been, this is how I've done it. And it's a weekly break from, okay, it's almost that reflective piece of, have I noticed my week at all? Mm-hmm. You find this with people who like, they say years go by faster and faster because yeah. when we live on automatic, time actually flies faster. Yes. But when you're in the moment and you're making choices and you're holding yourself responsible for decisions and presence and availability, yes. which is the gift of Sabbath for me in my life in so yeah. many ways, you realize time actually slows down because I'm attentive to all the things, mm-hmm. good and bad and not just reacting to anything that might come up. Yes, that that idea that um you know, if we're not producing something, we're falling behind. You know what I mean? If we're not actively going after something, yeah. there's this idea I think in us that there's something missing or we're going to miss out on something. Yeah. You know, we have we live and exist in a culture that is 24/7 and 24/7 it's saying, what are you producing? What is being generated from your life? And don't you think, you know. Bethany, the, the question underneath the question is, do you have value? Yeah. Of course. Yeah, I think it goes back to even what we talked about in the last uh, podcast. It's this idea of like, I am what I do. Mm. So this drives me, this feeling drives me forward of like, I've got to be producing something or I'm not. Yeah. I'm not good or I'm not whatever the whatever the identity statement is. Or yeah, you know, Brian, when you sat down to interview Rich Viotis, you guys kind of got into that a little bit. Yeah. Listen to what he said on that topic. I've been practicing it now weekly for 14 years and uh, as a family. And it has in, you know, informed all that we do from a weekly basis, our rhythms, our limits, 
and as a pastor, I've needed this for a number of reasons. Uh, Marjorie Thompson, a good formation writer, she said, honoring Sabbath is about letting go of our treasured illusions of our indispensability. And that the world does not revolve around me. The, Jesus is holding the world together. This is Colossians 1.17. And Sabbath says, Christ is holding it together. Therefore, I will do my best to rest and remind myself that it keeps on going, which is why, I mean, there, there's a hard, I, I read Joshua chapter one. It sounds harsh. Like Moses has done so much for Josh, for, for the Lord. And the first words that is spoken is, Moses, my servant is dead. Get up and go. And I'm thinking, come on, man. Moses has done a lot for you. But I just think like, if, if God talks like that, and maybe I'm reading it with the wrong toad, I'm reading it with God say, he's dead. Who's up next? And I just think, we're all dispensable, man. Only God is indispensable. Uh, so Sabbath has my reminder of that reality. You know, ironically, I kind of nerd out sometimes on the science of productivity. <laughs> and the, the ironic thing is like all the data says that after about 50 or max 55 hours yeah. of work a week, productivity plummets. So it's yeah. hard to imagine, but the difference between somebody working the Elon Musk 80-hour work week and somebody working 50 is almost non-existent. Yeah. yeah. In fact, in some, like, you know, there's that famous study they did two years ago. They did one in Japan and one with Microsoft where they did the 30-hour work week. Yeah. And uh, and then they there's one where they did like a 25-hour work week, but you had to turn your phone in before you sat down at your desk and there were like strict boundaries put in place around their internet web browser. Hmm. And in both cases, not only did productivity stay strong, it went up. That's what wow. nobody yeah. expected. So there's this whole theory that I bet you if people are really focused, they can accomplish in 30 hours what they used to do in 60 hours. Mm. What nobody expected was they actually accomplished more, more in 30 hours yeah. than in 60 wow. hours. You know, So I just, it goes to activity is not the same as productivity. Yeah. So it's not wrong to have a, there's a healthy, there's the unhealthy toxic, I am what I do. There's the healthy biblical theology. Yeah. I'm made to contribute to the world. Yes. I'm made yeah. to do something in the yeah. world. God made me to do something. Yeah. God, I'm an image bearer. Mm -hmm. I'm made to rule. I'm made to make a contribution. Something right. to human flourishing. Of me. Yeah, to, yeah, to partner with God, to remake Eden, uh, yeah. uh, an environment where people can thrive in relationship with God and one another. But chronic, you know, obsessive driven activity yeah. is not the best pathway to that. There yeah. is a limitations. You can do something for a while, it's really good, and then you rest. Hey there, my name is Santiago Frank, and I'm a current college student in my final year. Initially, when I started practicing Sabbath, it was like, it was like a battle. It was a battle for my time, a battle for almost for sanity, for, for um, wholeness in Christ. And there were so many times during that first season where I really felt like I don't have time to do this. Or I, by doing this, I'm going to be able to not respond to other commitments. And, but it was so cool over and over to see being faithful to practice the Sabbath. Everything got done every single time. It was such a cool, a cool testimony there.
also, I, I want to say on this too, because I think sometimes we think productivity, we only think work, mm-hmm. you know, and I think there's other things about. Yes, I'm thinking uh, about that through my, yeah, I'm well, a and me too. full-time knowledge worker kind of guy, but there are so many other examples But I noticed, this. I just, about a house this year, and I'm even noticing on the Sabbath, my temptations have shifted dramatically yeah. into like, I should be doing wow. something, even this morning, full confession, like I need to I'm plant sitting down to do my quiet time and I'm like yes. making a list yes. of the things that need to happen <laughs> in the next 48 hours of we my weeds, my whatever. And I'm just sitting there going like, and then I caught myself and was like, what are you doing? Like yeah. my mind just was going to like, I need to be, this needs to get done. Yeah. This is the drive within me. So I just also like, I think it's just important to name that productivity isn't just the work that we do. Yes. It's the maintenance we do in our house, even the relational. Yes. I think of people like my yes. wife who just feel this, I drive. have to touch base with these 10 yep. people. Totally. And I always have an ongoing list of people I need to text back. It's a consistent hmm. list that I'm like, you haven't texted, you know? So it just, there's that drive that just encompasses us on multiple levels. And I think we need to be honest about how much that creates a resistance within us, you know, yeah. to do this. And it pulls this beautiful thing that you talked about this at the very beginning when you were kind of outlining the, the, your t- talk on Sabbath, that when we feel something, we have an impulse, we have an appetite for something that it needs to be satisfied. And I think that works with productivity in the same way. Like you just mentioned it, like as soon as I, oh, I gotta, I gotta clean the shed. Yep. Don't know why I gotta do it, but I gotta do it right now. <laughs> right. As opposed to like, no, putting in that barrier actually forces something in me to say, I am not gonna be a servant or a slave to this impulse as yeah. it emerges and to avoid what I'm actually not wanting to experience right now because I'm avoiding productivity as a way of avoiding Absolutely. usually something that emerges in me yeah. when I'm like, I haven't done this thing for six months and all of a sudden now I yes. have to do it. And it feels like this scratch, this itch that I have to scratch. And it's like, actually the boundary of saying no produces not just a restraint in me, it produces a capacity in me to go, oh, yeah. and then I write it down. I do that a lot on yep. Sabbath, where yeah. like I write down the thing. I do that a lot in morning prayer. I'll have like a little piece of paper there, whereas a distracting thought, yeah. which most of the time is like, I need to do this. Yes. Yeah. Or an exactly. anxious thought like, oh, I need to call that person. I'll just write it down so as helpful. an attempt to kind of set it aside. We do it before yeah. Sabbath. We do the Sabbath box ritual. Oh, that's mm. great. Where like we do this as a community and we take these little scraps of paper and we have like a two minutes of silence and all of us, sometimes like 15 people there. We all write down anything. We do three things, uh, our worries, any sadnesses, and any unfinished tasks. Mm. And we write them down. That's good. And then we kind of say a prayer, put them in the box as a way of like putting them away. Amazing. And then if you need them, like you can get it out at the end of Sabbath and you have your little to-do list, you know? And it's just an embodied way of trying to say, because we're not talking about good and evil here. No, We're not saying productivity is bad. Yeah, and playing into productivity really plays into this, this fifth external resistance, which is the culture of consumerism. It plays into this broader system thing that we've talked about a little bit already, but the whole idea of consumer capitalism as really propped up on going faster and becoming more efficient. Yes. And it does that by producing more and more desires and needs that you have to meet to satisfy. Max Weber wrote, you know, a hundred years ago, and he said, nowadays, and this was a hundred years ago, one does not work to live, one lives to work. Yes. And he was specifically saying to keep up with this demand and pace or what- Hartmut Rosa, this philosopher, says, we live in this time of social acceleration Hmm. for all of this cultural narrative actually soaks down into our whole way of being. So to imagine not going at a faster pace with meeting more needs and having more things, it all kind of coalesces into one way of being, which is just too fast and too exhausting. And it's not just hurry, it's buying, it's desire, and it's hurry, and it's consumption. Because your identity now is not producer or yeah. whatever it is consumer and you produce so that you can consume yeah 
Yeah, it's not making us more fulfilled. It's making a list of demands of what being fulfilled looks like. It's the carrot and the stick. Yes. It is the carrot and the stick. You know, it's making more requirements about I mean, what it means to the be the irony thing is uh, I I took an online class with Lori Santos hmm. who's a psychologist from Yale and it was like a like a positive psychology online course amazing and she said this great insight about you know how labor saving devices which came about in the kind of 60s dishwashers and HVAC all of that they were supposed to like cut down our work time yeah and everybody was supposed to be you know 2022, 2023, you're working way less. It's yep. like the it's like the Jetsons, yes. you know what I mean? Yep. You kind of everybody's working 20 hours a week or whatever. And instead, people actually work more now than they used to. Yep. Even though technically we have less work to do. And she said that basically people chose money over time. Mm. So, you know, instead yeah. of living at the materialism level we did in the 1950s but having part-time job, we all chose to actually work more hours and yep. you know our houses are three times bigger and the average American house is hmm. 300,000 items in it and yada, yada, yada. Wow. And yeah, that's a crazy number, by the way. Yeah. That's yeah. not rich people. I'm that's like, average. That's, crazy. <laughs> that's, that's like the average crazy. household in the wow. United States of America, mm. 300,000 items. Mm. So point being, she said the happiest people all choose time over money. Yeah. Meaning they, if, if you have a choice and not all people have the privilege to even make this choice, the happiest people all choose to have less money, less things, less square footage, less new cars, and more time in relationships mm. because that's really where the good life is. And she's not even coming at this from a Christian perspective. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's a, just a secular happiness perspective. Yeah. But there is just a wisdom. deep wisdom there, yeah. I think, that is really in line with the values of the kingdom of God. I got the chance to do an interview with Andy Crouch recently, who is a hero of mine. He is an absolute brilliant Christian intellectual, but one of those rare souls whose life is even more beautiful than his mind. Yes. And this came up or something very similar in our conversation. Listen to Andy's point. Francis Bacon, writing at the dawn of the alignment, glimpses what might what we might come to know in the next few centuries. And he says, well, what we need to do is relieve the human estate. He sees life as just full of toil and labor. He's like, well, we need to like lift the burdens from human beings. And and I'm not saying, I mean, you and I benefit tremendously from the way machines lifted the burden. But but the and then Arthur C. Clarke comes along in the middle of the 20th century and famously, famously says, any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from what magic, because that's our dream. We're like, oh, if we now know how the world works, I could just flip a switch and a light would come on. And and the way I might put it is a device allows you to make a difference in the world without having to become different in any way. And in fact, this whole computational layer of our world, all these screens, at the end of the day, they are blank rectangles with the ability to glow with anything we ask them to glow with. And, and the interesting thing about our phones, our computers, our tablets, is they can either be the ultimate device, that is, they can just do magic for us, and you can, you can never learn to play anything, and you can, your life can be full of music, or they can be the ultimate instrument. But in order to do that, you will have to choose a way of formation that frankly is against the grain of the of what the technological world presents to us as the good life, which is the magical life. I think it taps into that the lie that I think is pervasive in this this kind of point, and that is that more stuff will equal more peace. It's the hamster wheel that you're talking about. Yeah. Like we've been drawn into this. Yeah, we satisfy and desire so, by getting what we want. Yeah, and and when we get it, work. and yeah. it doesn't 
produce what we want, we keep going for more. So we just keep consuming. I think it's also connected to this um, idea of like, and maybe I'm just speaking from personal experience, but it is this idea of like, I deserve this. Like, yeah. so I, I get to go to Target and get something that, you know, I worked an extra five hours, an extra 10 hours or whatever. So, so I'm this idea, buy. yeah, that somehow, you know, that, that we need to provide this for ourselves. So I think, again, to your point, like Sabbath points us to like, a point of of coming to a place of rest and allowing God to yeah. bless, allowing God in the present, allowing God to meet that even need of, mm. you know, of affirmation of like, this is good, this is good, you've done mm. good, you know, you've done well or whatever when it comes to working, so. Yeah, I, I mean, this really goes to the heart of it, you know, is life a right or a gift? Mm. And the language of human rights, ironically, you know, if you read Tom Holland or other historians, it is a Christian concept. Yeah. It's been secularized now, um, and we're all for human rights, so that's that's great. But it is, you know, he, <laughs> Yuval Harari calls human rights a Christian myth because it's mm. the antithesis of Darwinian materialism. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. So human rights are arguably a Christian concept, but only when applied to other people. So the origin of human rights was advocates saying, you know, the poor, the oppressed or whatever have human rights. Yeah. Now it's applied to me. Like I have my yeah. human right. rights or whatever, you know, right. in all sorts of ways. And from a Christian perspective, life is not a right, it's a gift. Yeah. Yeah. So other people have human mm -hmm. rights that we are to advocate for, but but that doesn't mean you can't self-advocate, you know, particular, I don't want to get into that, you know, rabbit trail there. My yeah. point is life in biblical theology is a gift. Mm. So that shift in heart posture from I deserve yeah to thank you yeah mm. i mean that's that's yeah that's freedom right there and so sabbath is a day i think to habituate gratefulness deep into our soul mm. you know like there's that rollheiser line we are grateful when ordinary life is enough yeah mm. and sabbath is one of those days where you're like is my ordinary life enough not yeah. the life i want yeah not the life i'm trying to get to you know Q4 of yeah. this year, but yeah. like right here, right now, myself as I am, my body as I am, my family or lack of family as I am, my finances as they are, my apartment as like, is my ordinary life enough? Well, that is a beautiful reminder. Even just, I feel like it's slowed down as I heard you say that. So if those are the external resistances, what is the benefit on the other side of this resistance? Yeah, so if those are like the larger cultural forces, Yeah. Okay, so let me frame it this way. Over against that, you know, kind of point one, the loss of a cultural architecture around the Sabbath is a community of Sabbath. Mm. Like we'll talk mm. more about this next week, but Sabbath is a communal discipline. Yeah, You can do it alone, but it is designed to be done in community, around a table, yeah. the Sabbath meal. And so building a micro community, um, a kind of, I think Tim Mackey would call it a contrast community, to the larger Sabbathless culture, even yeah. if it's like in my case, it's like twelve of us, yeah. you know. But we Sabbath together every weekend, and it's it it's a game changer. Like the mm. sense of we're a micro community, we're not Portland, we're not whatever, but we are building a community culture of Sabbath. Secondly, over against a culture of digital distraction is presence mm. to God, to other people, and to your own soul. That just gift of presence of flow over against a culture of reactivity 
is I think an intentional living mm. in the rhythm that was created by God. Yeah. And as a result, a sense of living in harmony, like with your deepest values. Mm. You know, Stephen Covey had that great line, we achieve inner peace when our schedule is aligned with our values. Yeah. So it's intentional living. Fourth, over against a culture of productivity is, you know, you could just say peace, like a sense of, okay, I'm enough, I've done enough. Mm. But I really think it's this deeper shift in the heart from work as careerism and consumerism to work as contribution, yeah. which is a biblical theology of yeah. work. You know, Cahil Gibran had that beautiful line, work is love made visible. Mm. So work done well is, is an act of love yeah. and service to other people where it's not your identity, it's not your self-worth, it's not your God. It's one of the ways that you love and serve inside mm. the limitations of your life. Mm. And then lastly, over against that culture of consumerism is contentment. Mm. It is a genuine, not forced, gratitude and yeah. just deep enjoyment of what is mm. and that posture of just, ah, I enjoy God, the giver of all good things. Mm. Mm. Practicing the Way is a crowd-funded nonprofit made possible by The Circle, a group of people from all over the world who believe deeply in the work of spiritual formation and discipleship and give monthly to see formation integrated into the church at large. I'm Tracy from Cape Town, South Africa, and I'm part of this community. To join myself and others in the circle, or to share a one-time gift, visit practicingtheway.org slash give. All right, we've talked about external resistance, yeah. which is real, powerful, you know, what we're up against. But I think almost equally, and maybe even more important to mention, is the internal resistance that happens uh, in this practice of Sabbath. Like in us. Like we, we can't blame Silicon us. Valley right. or the yeah. algorithms be like, or Instagram. It's the advertisers. Put me in the desert and this will still be a problem. Yeah, and I think these things sometimes are more difficult to name, largely because they're personal and they're not as clear always. Yeah. They're not as provocative or provoking, at least in the ways that we can naturally access them. So um, I think we need to talk about them. Yeah. And I think uh, a good place to start is to talk about the internal resistance that kind of manifests as a restlessness. There is a restlessness that shows up within us when we begin the practice um, of Sabbath. You know, I think it's important to say here that um, we are complex beings. It, you know, we're entering into Sabbath as whole people, but mm, we're entering yeah. in with a complexity to our design. You know, you mentioned this earlier, but we have an infinite soul and we have a finite body. And so when yeah. we show up to the space of Sabbath, those two things are dancing together yes. in that space in a way that, you know, the other five or six days a week, they're not. You yeah, know, we're yes. kind of coming face to face with those two things. So there will be some sense or rub within us when we stop and lean into rest. There will be a sense of anxiety or restlessness that will surface within us. Mm. And, um, you know, I think it's important to say here that the restlessness is not to be rejected, but in my opinion, it's to be befriended. It's mm. to welcome, um, hmm. you know, to welcome some of the restlessness because the Oh, interesting. You're saying just kind of, because it's going to be there either way. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, don't I try to fight it or shoot away, just befriend it. And you, you can't undo the reality of what you're coming in yes, with. You yeah. can't you can't seize or stop the restlessness. And not by willpower. No. And if you reject it, um, you'll miss out on what it's trying to tell you. 
Yeah. You know, even the restlessness is a reminder to us that we are in need. Yes. <laughs> that we cannot do the very thing which we most desire to yeah, do, which yes. is settle that restlessness. So that is a, a starting point. If restlessness is what you've been feeling as you started practicing Sabbath, great. Yes. It's a good indicator that you're actually entering in yes. in a way that is difficult, but uh, is leading you to a place where you're actually coming face to face with the infiniteness of your soul and the finiteness of your body. You know what what that draws to mind for me, Bethany, is to kind of zoom out to just formation in general. You know, my philosophy around willpower is when willpower works, use it. Awesome. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't work most of the time. <laughs> right. That was so, you know, when people hear, I have this inner restlessness, I always want more, I'm not satisfied. You can't fix that with willpower. Yeah. You can't just stop for a moment and say, okay, be satisfied. That's mm. not how the human heart works. Right. If it was that easy, it'd be awesome. I'd just give a sermon on it, and at the end, you'd be like, okay, I'm just going to be satisfied now. Yeah. But that's not how the, the human heart is way too, all sorts of complexity there. But the way you approach something like that is indirectly, yeah. not directly. Mm. You can't just say, I'm yeah. going to be satisfied now. You have to approach it from another angle, and you have to use your willpower most helpfully, I think, for practices like Sabbath that then create space for God to do what you cannot do. Yeah. Yeah. So I can't flip a switch and make myself be satisfied. Mm -mm. Right. But you know what I can do? I can flip a a digital switch with my thumb <laughs> on my phone yep. every Friday at six, I can turn off my phone. Yeah. I can sit around the table with my community. I can enter into Sabbath. I can choose to not work, not yes. do all of these things. On I can do that. My willpower yes. can turn off mm -hmm. my phone. My willpower cannot will satisfaction in my human heart. Yeah. Yeah. So you do what you can, draw a limit around your desire, practice Sabbath, mm -hmm. so that God and the Spirit does through that practice what you cannot, Right. creating you a spirit that is at peace. Yeah. I think that idea of discontentment that you're naming is for me um, a huge part of the resistance I felt because I think I, I struggled so much to run away or to, to not acknowledge and name the discontent, the mm. restlessness that was in me. And I've come to realize that I think being able to sit non-judgmentally mm -hmm. in the negativity of my own experience or, or someone else's experience of me is one of the truest ways into my own formation and development. And wow, um, I mean, just think about, you know, I heard Willard would often talk about, you know, why aren't churches doing a course on um, blessing those who persecute you? Mm. He's like, if you're, if you're gonna really live out the Sermon on the Mount, and I just continue to go back to, we're not even able to hear the little tension or disagreement or feedback or criticism that our friends, social media, yeah. a coworker can yeah. offer us, no right? There's right. so about. much defense. And I think the only, I mean, my experience, the only real way into a real prayer life or a real experience of a recovery of my own soul was from, from pushing against the discontentment, mm -hmm. uh, naming it like you said. Yeah. And I, I thought about it in my own marriage, often the discontentment in a marriage is the only way in to real healing. Yeah. Because as long as you refuse to name it or, or even acknowledge it, as long as it lives in two separate worlds, then something won't emerge. And that thing that won't emerge is real life, a real unified sense of marriage. And it's often the doorway into a real whole. 
recovery of self. Pain is so often the doorway oh. into all of this. Yeah. I mean, into intimacy. I mean, yes. really what you're saying is like this point of pain is yeah. the opening for yeah. us to find more intimacy with one another. Yeah. And I think that's true in Sabbath yeah. as well. So yeah. we could re- reject the restlessness or we could welcome it. Let it sit next to you. It doesn't yeah. have to consume you, but it, it is there and it is informing something. And mm. it is the pathway to to the intimacy, I think, mm. that we most desire, particularly in this practice mm. of Sabbath. We've talked about some of the resistances in in a real way. Yeah, Other people can actually um, be a part of that resistance we experience. So at some level, when it comes to internal resistance, we have to face the sabotage from other people that we desire to please within this context of Sabbath. And even as a single person, Hmm. there's things within me, there's desires within me to please others that actually hijack and sabotage the work that God wants to do within Sabbath. Oh, man. Yes. So Yeah, I, I think, okay, so anything in life, when you live differently than the dominant culture around yeah. you, it will provoke anger yep. and ire mm. and sabotage. Uh, Thomas Friedman in his book on leadership calls it sabotage. Says every leader will face sabotage because you're trying to get people to change. Yep. And all of us have resistance to change, conscious, unconscious, intentional, not intentional. So, but anytime you live differently, even if you're not like an angry, I'm on Instagram every day yelling at yeah. this about this thing or whatever, if you just choose to live differently, yeah, it will make people upset. Yeah. You know, so it's like whenever I was vegetarian for a long time and anytime I would work very hard to not bring it up, but anytime you're at a dinner and it would just come <laughs> up like, hey, you wanna whatever? No, it's okay. I'm, you know, I, I, I just, I'm, I'm not eating meat or whatever. It was hilarious how many people would get like almost offended Yeah. because it's like, and it wasn't this for me, but it's like they interpreted that as this is some kind of judgment on yes. me. It will provoke something from somebody. Yeah. And Sabbath is the same. Like yeah. if you say, I'm going to set aside one seventh of my life to stop, rest, delight, and worship, that sounds beautiful. But for people that are addicted to productivity, yeah. Yeah. to constant digital connectivity, to whatever... It, it will, even if it's not in your heart, they will interpret it as some yeah. kind of a judgment on them mm-hmm. or their life. And they will, and again, most of this is un, it's like not, I don't think it's conscious even for a lot of people. They will attempt to sabotage you. Yeah. Now, that's really difficult mm. when that person is your boss. Yeah. yeah. Or that, and you're trying to live with healthy rhythms and they have none. Or that person is your mother-in-law or it's your dad or it's your, you know, spouse or whatever. Yeah. This can be like really complex and really tricky. We will face sabotage. So we have to anticipate that and find a way to graciously disarm it to the yes. best of our ability so we're not coming off you know, self-righteous or whatever, but also prepare for that resistance. Yeah. Yeah, I think even just to nuance what you said a little bit, because what you just, you just gave examples of not trying to change people, but just existing in an environment- Differently. Where your difference of choice, of life, of, of experience, or, you know, the direction of your life causes an internal issue with for them somebody else that they then externalize onto and you. And they want to change you back exactly to get rid of that tension they feel so in their it's, own it's, heart. I mean, just that's a nuance where I'm not actually trying to change anyone here. I'm yes. choosing by my choices, taking responsibility for it to live differently. And that's different because the anxiety, people are so 
they're so convinced and they're so desperate to reduce the anxiety they feel within themselves. Mm -hmm. When that inner like fire is stoked, they will do anything. And this is comes out in the smallest of ways. It comes out in shame and it comes out in judgment. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot about when you're doing Sabbath with like a young family, it's like, well, why aren't you doing the sports? Why aren't you doing the Sabbath? Like the shame of... Why am isn't I, your phone on? Why am I good? Yeah. Am I a good are, dad? Are you, I, uh, my kids not at baseball? Yes. Like five hours? Mm -hmm. Am I? So you have to, you're, you, you have said to prepare, prepare for, for it. But it's also what the gift in that is it actually brings up the those competing commitments. It brings up those things mm. again to say, mm. do I? Is this really my conviction? Does, yeah. Is this the thing that I really want to point my life towards? And that, that's the tension, especially when you're in the state of learning and there's restlessness and maybe it's it's more difficult than it is easy. I want to say one more thing about that because I'm a chronic or have I'm a recovering uh, people pleaser. So I even mm -hmm. I have a lot of this in me. And I think one of the things that I think about when it comes to this or one of the questions God posed to me early on as I was carrying some of this was, um, who do you desire to please more? Yeah, it was something for me to hold to because I'm so driven. I have been so driven by what other people think that yeah. this for me was, Lord, this is a discipline to please you, to keep my attention and my focus on pleasing you. On honoring yeah. you and the discipline of sabbath for me was that it was about cultivating that deeply yeah. within my person so mm. um let's move on to the next one uh number three which is facing sabbath sadness mm -hmm. um, and that's what we're calling it sabbath sadness now sabbath sadness may be new to a lot of you but uh when it comes to slowing down oftentimes um you'll experience not just restlessness but a plethora of different emotions mm. uh, beginning to surface. As yeah. you slow down, as you move yourself into the presence of God, as things stop, um, you'll begin to notice that uh, mm. maybe emotions or feelings or even experiences that you've had throughout the week will begin to emerge. And that might feel confusing yeah. and even discouraging. Yeah. That's yeah. what I would say is it often like, feels- Like this is supposed to be a day of delight. Yeah. yeah. Like, Why, I'm not I Why do I feel sad right now? Yeah. And the Sabbath sadness is a generic term we use just to kind of encompass this reality that there will be emotions, good and bad. Yeah. You know, it's not just one or the other. Complex emotions. Yeah. That come up mm. largely because we've been numbing throughout the week or we've been running from those emotions. We've been a able to run yeah. from those emotions or we're working so hard that now our nervous yeah. system is just crashing right and it's beginning to come back online and we're beginning to see with different eyes and feel yeah. differently than we have throughout the week the things that are there and um you know this is a hard thing the sabbath sadness again can be pretty disorienting especially if you're first starting out in sabbath yeah. mm. and there are a lot of good practices to think through when it comes to um having a container. Yeah, how to do that. this well, yeah. how to process well through it. Yeah, but the number one thing I'd say is um, don't avoid this. And similar to the restlessness, there is something um, that happens. There's there's an uh, on-ramp, if you will, um, to intimacy that happens through these emotions. So yeah. it, there's going to be a propensity in all of us to want to avoid the discomfort. This is where my productivity was coming in this morning, where yes. I was like, let me just avoid these scary, let me go do yeah. something angry so I emotions feel, I was feeling. Yeah. yeah, I was like, but I need to get wire for my weed whacker. Like, I don't even know what that <laughs> is. I, don't even, I didn't even say it right, you know? But I was like avoiding these deeper emotions because because they're painful, yeah. because they're uncomfortable and difficult to face. So mm. Sabbath sadness, a real part. I think of that uh, mm. that Rilke poem uh, where he has the line, let everything happen to you, beauty and terror, just keep going. And this mm. is what I think of, no feeling is final. Yeah. Mm. 
And so like when I think about feelings and I'm so wired like that, Bethany, when I have uh, negative feelings, I don't mean negative like they're bad for me, negative like they don't feel nice, they don't feel happy, they don't feel mm -hmm. good emotions. Yeah, I just want to run away from them. Yeah. yeah, and so I always this may be helpful or it may not, but I always just imagine like a wave mm -hmm. in the ocean. If you're out surfing or swimming or whatever, just like this feeling is coming at me and it's going to roll over me. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's going to crash over me. Yeah, yeah. And I can't fight it. Like it is there, and yeah. trying to outrun yeah. it is a fool's errand. Just let it kind of wash over me, feel your feelings, you know, let it come through me because then it will pass on, yes. you know? Now, in different seasons of our life that it might not pass on in a few hours or a few right. minutes, it might pass on in a few weeks or months yeah. or years, life is hard. But as opposed to trying to constantly kind of outrun yes. them, which is what most of us mm -hmm. do. I mean, my therapist said to me recently, avoidance is the most common coping strategy because it's the most effective. Yeah. Yeah. So everybody has their own coping strategy for pain. Avoidance is most people's most popular coping mm -hmm. strategy. Yeah. Because it it it's the quickest way to just get rid of the pain. Get out. But it actually is keeping us trapped in that wheel of suffering. You know. Mm -hmm. So what I think practices like Sabbath and the same could be true of silence or prayer of community is they open us up to a safe place mm -hmm. to let these feelings. Mm. I love that. Us. I love that idea of Sabbath being a safe place to sit with those emotions. Yes. That's the con there's a space because Instagram's actually... not a safe place to process no. your <laughs> feelings. But we of think pain. it. Is. I mean, but we do think it is. <laughs> yeah, we're reading are on there every day Quablo doing it or whatever, and we're reading these people on Instagram giving us feedback about this. But it really is the space to actually see rightly. Yeah. The emotions, and honestly, I think our culture does a horrible job. And I'm a deep feeler, so I obviously feel strongly about this on multiple levels. But we do a horrible job at honoring, mm. um, you know, our emotions and, mm. and honoring and not and we're emotional people. So I'm not saying that, but but by honoring just even the injury we've we've experienced throughout the week, yeah. you know, honoring attending to those wounds, yeah, the relational dynamics them, that took place, which again is hurry. We don't have the time, yeah. right? This is slow work. Right. It is slow work to sit with a pain from that week, let it pass through you, process it with God. Yeah. You don't do that in five minutes. Yeah. And even having a space with God to say, like, where was I outside of my yeah. parameters? Where yeah. was I outside of? Yes. Where do I have injury because I overreached or I over, you know, to process those emotions with God too. You cannot see them rightly unless you're sitting with Him in a safe space yes. and saying, I'm experiencing this. Where did this come from? Yeah. You know, where mm. is this? Wound. Sabbath for me, before we move on, it's such like the litmus test for my overall pace of life. Yeah. Mm. So like we had a Vespa forever ago before we had kids. <laughs> and you know, a Vespa has a, they call it a governor on the engine, yeah. which makes it so it can't go past whatever 50 miles per hour, which makes it so you don't have to have a motorcycle endorsement. Mm. You can just ride it, right? So it was my wife's. And so Sabbath is kind of, I feel like, the governor on my overall yeah, pace of life. That's good. That's Walter great. Brueggemann has that beautiful line, people who keep Sabbath live all seven days differently. Yeah. And for me, the Sabbath sadness is a great like indicator on the dashboard of my self-awareness of whether or not I was misliving during the yeah. week. That's now, so, sometimes it comes yeah. just because of yeah. pain and suffering that, yeah. that come to me. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? I was betrayed by a friend or somebody said this really hurtful thing or this yeah. tragedy in world events or politics or whatever. Yeah. But sometimes it comes because of my own stuff. Yeah. Most yeah. of the time it comes because I was, I you know, I'd worked insane hours or I got in a fight with my wife or I yelled at my kid or whatever. 
And in those moments, it's such an incredible gift for me to realize like, oh, am I living at a pace that is sustainable? Yeah. Or am I so exhausted and busy and hurried that on my day of rest, I can't actually delight yeah. Yeah. because my body, so instead of taking an hour or two or three for my nervous system to crash, it's mm. taking 22, 23, 24. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not ever getting to delight because I was misliving all week long. If yeah. I'm able to enter into delight at some point in the Sabbath, then I'm, I feel like I'm living well. If mm. I'm not, that's a sign yeah. that, man, something has to be adjusted in yeah. the week to come. That's good. When Tish Harrison Warren and I were chatting, we were kind of talking about the same thing. She said in her experience, it has been amazing to see just how revelatory Sabbath can be, like what it brings up and reveals in your own heart and life. It's an arduous practice at times, but it's been a joy. And I talk in that chapter about the Scottish preacher that said, you know, if we don't believe that God is at work when we're asleep or when we're at rest, when we're not at work, then it reveals who we think is the actual worker in our own life, who we think is actually at the wheel, so to speak, of our own life. And I think Sabbath keeping is revelatory in that sense. It kind of reveals to me who I rely on, which is usually myself or technology or entertainment. And when we intentionally take breaks from commerce, from technology, from entertainment, from our own work, it just a, it's just a very kind of gentle way to wean us off of the things we rely on. But also, like, it's, I mean, at this point, like, it's fun. I love to rest on Sundays. All right. I want to take us to number four. This one, I think, is a beefy one. Can I say that? Is that a technical term? Beefy? Beefy, yeah. It is. I think this is a beefy. This is a hefty guy because I think more often than not, we don't like to say this one out loud. Hmm. I really do. I think in the work that I get to do with pastoring people, I think this is one of the number one areas I see people struggling with the most. And that is um, in, in Sabbath, we face the resistance. We face our distance from God and our hmm. lack of desire for God. We don't like to say that, but you know, yes. it's yeah. a real thing. Yeah, I mean, that's, I remember reading that the first time ever from Ruth Haley Barton saying mm. that mm. she was talking about solitude, but I think it's just a truth for Sabbath. Yeah. That one of the main reasons people avoid solitude is because they are scared that they'll get there and realize there's very little between them and God. Yes. Yeah. Like, if I set aside a day and I'm alone for part of it, maybe, and I just read, is there anything between me and God? Yeah. yeah. And so, what happens a lot is we live off other people's spiritualities. Yeah. That of our pastor or our yeah. podcaster, or for me, it's like a reading. Like it's easier for me to go yep. and to so quote solitude and just read a bunch of books about Christian spirituality than it is for me to, like I did this on my last sabbatical, I did this 21 day guided solitude retreat. And I thought I would do great at it. I spend a lot of time in solitude, but I tend to bring books with me yeah. and journals with me. And this mm -hmm. was like pure, true alone, solitude, no books, not even the Bible. It was mm. like you were out in solitude in a cabin. And it was so mm. difficult mm. Yeah. because I realized so much of my spirituality, so much of my prayer life is me reading books about prayer, yeah. not praying, you know, yeah. which again, that's my psychosis, you know? But um, there's something here where on the Sabbath, we have to confront the reality of our own heart. Again, not with shame, mm -hmm. yeah. not right. with guilt, not with judgment, but with, honesty yeah. mm -hmm. in order to name it and open it up to God. I mean, what's the Pete Gregg lie? Pray what you got. Yeah. So if what you got is very little, pray, <laughs> pray that. Yeah. You know, if it's a lack of God, I don't really 
desire you right now, yeah. pray that. Yeah. If it's God, I'm scared to be alone with you right now, pray that. Pray what you got. All right, I'm going to move us on to the fifth one, our final point, which is facing the fear of the unknown. And when it comes to Sabbath, uh, I think it's one, this is one we don't talk about very often, but there is a reality of fear that usually emerges around the unknown. This question of, of sitting in Sabbath or sitting in the presence of God, being with God, entering into rest, stopping what we normally do. Yeah. There's a, a plethora of questions that come up, uh, questions like, who will I become? Like, what happens yeah. when I lay down all of my normal rhythms and patterns when I stop producing, when I lean into the restlessness, when I lean into these emotions, who will I become? Or what do I do um, when I don't know what to expect? Yeah. You know, especially if you're starting out for the first time when it comes to Sabbath. Um, what happens when I'm exposed to this kind of new reality, me and my family? Yeah. What are the implications going to be? There's a real fear yeah. around what we do not yet know in the practice of Sabbath. There's also this fear of what am I missing out on? Right. And there's a fear of what are the better options yes. that I haven't yet known? If I commit to this, will I? So there's so much, again, it's that passivity piece. It's all these things yeah. kind of coalesce and they converge into this, this conversation of like so much of our world in this chronic anxiety. Anxiety, you know, one of the things I've learned recently is that anxiety and curiosity or worry and curiosity specifically, they're the same function in mm. the brain. They're called a cognitive elaborative process. So it's basically a way of imagining what will be, but worry, which then becomes anxiety, tends to be about trying to control this uncertain future. Mm. Whereas curiosity says in the same way, mm. hey, it's uncertain, what might be good here? Yeah. It opens us up in a way that lets us be available to the present moment without anxiety, without, and this is, you know, people talk about mindfulness as, 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 a, as an approach to this. And I do think there's a way of posturing ourselves with curiosity to the future. And when we have this deep fear of what I'll miss out on, what are the better options? Mm. Who will I become? Yeah. It seeks to control an outcome as mm. opposed to what we're supposed to do when we enter a day is actually just open our hands to another's will, to God's will yeah. and say, you will decide, you'll choose and I'll be present to it. Yeah. I mean, I'm just thinking about the theological concept of surrender, yeah. the yielding yeah. that Sabbath demands. There yeah. is a you will handle the outcome yeah. as much as you will handle our needs yeah. for this day, emotionally, relationally, yeah. you know, spiritually, on every level, he is now in charge of handling yeah. the needs. And it's a mystery that I think, just like you're saying, we could attempt to control it, control with worry, yeah. or we could welcome it and allow it to be a little fun and mysterious and wild. Yeah, which I know is contrary to most of us <laughs> and most of our bents, but I think there is a gift in Sabbath of that reality if we're willing to. Yeah, sit yes. In that unknown, it invites us to trust. Yeah, because we don't know the, the circumstances of our outcomes, right? But we can know the one in whom we've entrusted mm. our circumstances and outcomes. Yeah, and that's the distinction. So the unknown is not something you know. It comes back so much to that that Dallas Willard beautiful telling of Psalm 23, where he talks about if the world is good and safe mm. and the Lord is my shepherd, then I lack nothing. Yeah. You know, whatever might be, there's a, a deep contentment in a world that is perfectly safe for me yeah. if my father is the one that I'm entrusting my life to. Yeah. Even if that means circumstances that are poor or bad or painful or tragic, Yeah. I can still posture myself as that's not the end of the story. 
Yeah. And I can entrust myself to him. So unknown needs to be no longer a place of fear, but a place of openness and curiosity. Yeah. My mind goes to I lack that I lack nothing yeah. phrase and how it's not just, you know, for the present, but yeah. it's also for the future. Yeah. So it's it's just that beautiful mm. uh, in, I don't know, a beautiful stretching, if you will, for us in that space of, space of Sabbath to be able to say like, man, it's not just God, you'll provide today for what I need, but you're providing now even for what's to mm, come yeah, or what I might need. Yeah. Wow. Um, all right. We're going to wrap this baby up. Um, big question though. Um, you know, you asked this, Brian, earlier, and I want to ask you this question, um, but what is the benefit on the other side of this resistance? You know, John Mark mentioned it, yeah. the external, yeah. but would you mind just speaking for a second to the this um, internal resistance, what's the benefit of the, on the other side of this for those yeah. of us who are practicing this? So then when we face our restlessness, the other side of that, we end up with this acceptance of our own limitations. Mm. We're faced with the fact that we as a whole are not infinite. We have a limited time and attention and capacity and embracing our limits actually invites us into a place of cherishing, mm. into a place of um, deep surrender. You named it so well. Um, and that in our culture is problematic because we want to live in a world where there are no limitations, yeah. all things, you yeah. can be all things. And actually a deep acceptance of our own limitations is a deep place of surrender and trust and yeah. the infinite soil for God to grow all sorts of things in our, in our hearts. Love that. Number two, when we face sabotage, we come out the other side with a freedom from the need to please people. Mm. And all the people pleasers and codependents <laughs> in the room said, amen, amen this is amen, my disposition. Amen. Yeah, That is one of the best when we face the sabotage, when we face the capacity to disappoint the people we love the most, not out of some you know selfish ambition, yeah. but out of a commitment to a deeper and better and even called way of being that we mm. feel invited into. Mm. Then we begin to liberate ourselves from that constant nagging, what will they say? What will they think? Yep. Who do they think I am? And it begins to reorient our identity not set in their perspective of who I am or in the health of this relationship as they expect it to be. Right. But I, it moves to an inner directedness where based on my experience of what God has called us into and who I'm becoming, I become a source of authority. I become the place that God actually entrusts me with my own identity. Mm. And I'm no longer desperate to make sure that everyone around me thinks highly of me. Mm. And that is a huge issue. Yeah. Number three, when we face the Sabbath sadness, we move to joy. Mm. Any th thoughts on that, Bethany? I mean, the first thought that comes to my mind is just that joy is not based on our circumstances. Yeah. So in the in the Sabbath sadness, there is a real um, there's a reality you're called into that yeah. is, reaches beyond even your emotional experience mm. or circumstance yeah. into the deeper, truer union with God. Mm. Which goes into number four, when we faced our distance from God, our experience, and the thing that we haven't wanted to name is the sense of a distance from God. When, mm. we, when we face that, we actually move into intimacy with God. Yeah. So when we name what is, is we realize that's a doorway into real reality, a real relationship, a real relationship of intimacy with God. And I think that is um, one of the most honoring places for the Sabbath because it's given us a genuine space for God to be himself and for us to come open-handed. Yeah. yeah. Number five, when we face our fear of the unknown, we end up with the rest that comes with trust, mm. joyful acceptance of our place in the universe. 
like we just spoke at length about. Yeah. I like that our joyful acceptance of our place in the universe. Yeah. <laughs> um, because I think, you know, as much as sometimes or cor- culturally we would not want to feel small, it's been the greatest gift to me on the Sabbath to feel as though I am a child, like a yeah. child being cared for by God. And when I don't know what to do in this practice, yeah. when I don't know what to do with the complexities of the experience of it, I am like a child. Yeah. And I get to just trust my dad to take care of me and mm. to lead me deeper in. And he does. Or, you know, or I just get a <laughs> snack and I just keep moving. Um, That's so good. Um, well, to end, I just, I think I just want to say a few things that I think might be helpful uh, for us. And that is, you know, we've been talking a lot about resistance and resistance isn't a word that any of us actually love um, because it usually means a challenge. But resistance is what produces a transformed life. Yeah. And I think it's easy for us to say that here on a podcast, <laughs> sitting in a room like this, but all of us know that a transformed life is a real life, mm. is a life that we actually want. So the resistance we're talking about here um, are actual pathways to a greater experience of the kingdom, yes. of Jesus, of God. And um, and that's what we want to encourage you with today. You know, oftentimes we view resistance as bad because it feels bad, but that's not the case. Resistance is just part of the human experience, and that experience um, produces transformation in us. I keep thinking about this concept of like, you know, when I um, when I am exercising, which is very rare. I try not to do it. I did do it this morning. I was thinking about the resistance here and how that was producing something in mm. me, a strength in me. And I've been working out lately. You haven't said anything. Crushing it. You guys haven't said anything, so it's kind of offensive. But um, <laughs> Uh, but I have been, and I feel like, you know, I, I did 30 push-ups this morning, which I don't normally, Amazing. that's a lot. Now I had to take a break in between. But I, my resistance is growing something in me, a greater mm. strength. And my point in all of that is not to share my lack of fitness experience, but it is just to say that resistance does produce something in yeah. you that you cannot achieve unless you move through the resistance. Yeah. And so that's our, our invitation uh, to all of us as we keep continuing to lean into the practice of Sabbath. Um Our prayer, I think, is that we would all continue to welcome it and that from this we would experience more of the life of Jesus and more of God's goodness to us. Man, that is beautiful. Thank you. And thank you to all of you for listening. And again, this podcast was made possible by the generosity of The Circle, a group of people from all over the world who give to make this happen. Thank you so much. To join The Circle or find out more about how to run the Sabbath practice in your own church or your small group, visit practicingtheway.org. Otherwise, we hope to be back next week with Movement 3 Delight.